Welcome to Pleasant Grove Church, where Reverend Dr. Classy M. Preston is the pastor. A place where the Word of God impacts and transforms your life. Let's listen to a power-packed message already in progress. throughout our lives, your son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father, for the word. Thank you for teaching us. Thank you for saving us. And thank you for making preparations for us on the other side. I pray for a fresh anointing. I pray, dear God, that any demons, or anything that comes against your spirit will be bound and that Satan will have no power over us, and that we will worship you in spirit and in truth. We will worship you, O oh God. In spite of our circumstances, we will worship you, O oh God. In spite of what we might get or might not, we will worship you, O oh God, because you are worthy to be praised. It is in the mighty name and the saving power of Jesus that I pray. Amen. Amen. Let us thank God again for the mighty men. Oh, come on. Come on. Let's thank God. Hallelujah. Let's thank God. Let's thank God. I was out not really shopping. You know, I'm a terrible shopper. And uh, looking around, you can't believe the enthusiasm for people who are shopping for Christmas. And I said to myself, self, I wonder do they even know Jesus? And I realized that sometimes we miss the meaning of Christmas. And sometimes we're so busy decorating everything that we forget that the Holy Spirit has to be dressed and placed in us so that we can be a part of the celebration. And what I learned the hard way is that there are times when we go through the season of Christmas, Michelle, and nothing happens at all spiritually. Christmas is a spiritual moment. 
in the life of the church. Christmas is about what God did for us in the past, what God is doing right now, and what God is going to do in the future. So Christmas is about honoring God for what God has already done, thanking God for what's going on right now, and worshiping God because we have eternal plans in the name of Jesus. I wish you'd just say hello or hello, G, or something to somebody. Is that the greatest enthusiasm we can get from the Lord's people? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I remember in the old church, they said, go, help, go kiss three people and tell them you love them in the name of Jesus. Well, can't kiss anymore, but you can wave at three people and say, I love you in the name of Jesus. How about wave at three people and tell them you love them in the name of Jesus? That's right. Come on, wave again. I didn't see that. Wave. That's right. Wave. Did you tell your news? Are you you got to tell the news. There's a big thing going on. No, no, no. So yesterday afternoon, uh, Jackson and Alex, I mean, excuse me, Jackson and Danny, uh, blessed us with her third granddaughter, uh, Wren, and she was 7'7 uh, seven, seven and 21 inches long. And she, <laughs> praise God. So we thank God for the miracle of birth, and we thank God for um, just giving us the presence of mind to celebrate. We also have disciples of our church who are in transition and some who have transitioned, and it's very important that we pray and keep each other lifted up so that we might make it through this journey. And Pastor Joseph, we lift you every day, all day. We can't imagine your first Christmas without your father. But you really have the great I am. And all I, I'm glad to know that you know the Lord for yourself. So we love you and we're praying for you and your family as well, as well. Before I get started, I want to with my sermon, I want to talk about sin just a minute or two because some of us believe that we are not sinners. And uh, I'm not calling anybody a sinner. I'm going to read what the Bible says. And uh, Dr. Lachelle, you don't have to call me or text me. I will send you my notes. And then you will have everything that I have said. So what is the biblical definition of sin? Sin is an immoral act considered to be a transgression of divine law. According to Augustine of Hippo, sin is a word, it's a deed or desire, Ross, that's in opposition to the eternal law of God. Or as scripture states, sin is the transgression of the law. We learned that there is a theological and technical question that must be approached scripturally, not with human logic and psychological knowledge, but we must approach sin from a biblical perspective. A variety of Hebrew and Greek words has been used to refer to sin in the Bible, but it can be simply defined as this. Sin is disobedience to God. Anybody disobedient to God? I don't want you to raise your hand. You might be exposed, but the Bible says that we all fall short and that we have all sinned. And the reason I bring this up is because sometimes we think as a people, we can pick on the people and talk about the ones when we see the sin they're doing, 
but everybody sins some way and somehow. And we have to get in the right mindset to understand that the common characteristics of all sin is that it is a directed against God. It is a violation of what his glory demands, the rejection of his authority, wisdom, and love. Therefore, sin is both a violation of the expression of God's will, his law, and his character. From the fact that some angels were reported to have sinned and Satan, their chief, sinned from the beginning. It becomes obvious that sin was present in the universe before man's creation, as was also confirmed by the activity of the old serpent. We all know the story in Genesis about Adam and Eve. So today, I want you to do three things during my sermon. I want you to assess the three images I'm going to give you and choose which one are you. Are you the prodigal son? Are you King David? Or are you Mary? And again, I want to remind us, this is in Luke chapter 1, verse number 49. Mary says, for the mighty one, can you repeat that after me? For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Say it again like you mean it. For the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. And I chose for a topic, Jesus, God's perfect gift, because I realized that sometimes we wear ourselves out looking for the perfect gift. I have a bad habit of buying gifts, and I don't have great taste. And I give people things, and they look at it and go, mm, I, I, I'll work it out. I'll work it out. And uh, I've learned that we just need to do what God tells us to do and stop trying to get the perfect gift. Just give people a little Jesus and let them know what God has done for you, and you would have fulfilled the, 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 the goal of Christmas is talking about great Jesus. How many of you know, where was Jesus born? How many siblings did he have? We all know his mother and father. Did Jesus have a diet? What did he wear? What did he talk about most of the time? When he was doing the Sermon on the Mount, do you know what he was really saying to the disciples? When Jesus had his encounter with Peter do you understand his temperament and why he was so concerned? And Jesus is still doing the same thing today. But ask yourself, as a believer, how much do you really know about Jesus? Can you articulate all of the activities that took place from Friday night to Sunday when he went in the grave and he came out on our behalf? You see, we need to understand who it is we're thankful for. We also need to understand that God has given us an opportunity again to worship the Lord and to save the world in his name. We have focused on Advent because Advent is really preparation for Christmas. It is a four-week season of preparation for the coming of the Lord at Christmas. And it always has a theme of looking towards the future coming of Christ at the end times. Anybody looking forward to Christ? At the end times, anybody saying, I just can't wait. You guys want to hang around and be around a long time. But when the end times come, the Bible said that the Lord is going to come back. 
and he is going to receive those who believe and belong to him. Advent is a season when we look at ourselves, not everybody else. Advent is a season when you pray, Marty, and you ask God, show me my stuff. Show me my heart. Show me, Lord, what I need to do to be more like you. God shows his grace through the presence of Jesus. And we need to be the face of Jesus in the world today and share in the good news of the gospel. There are three things that we are doing during the Advent season and why it is significant. Advent gives us an opportunity to do three things. Number one is we reflect on our relationship with Almighty God through Jesus Christ. Number two, we repent for our sins and wholeheartedly return to God. One foot in the church and one in the world is not returning to God. And Advent gives us a time to observe our own lives and what it is that we need to do to be in good relationship with our Lord. And finally, we rejoice as we celebrate the gift of love we receive because of the birth of Jesus Christ. Let me return reflection for you. Reflection comes from the Latin word. It's made up the prefix back, fletcher, and to bend. So it's bending something back. Your reflection in the mirror is the light waves that bounce your image back to you. You ever been in the bathroom and you have that micro, that large, you know, magnifying glass, and you look a close look, you go, I didn't know I had a wrinkle over there. I, I didn't know. We all need a magnifying glass. We all, we all need someone around us to say, you need to look again because that's something that you have missed. When we reflect, we throw light on what's wrong in our lives. When we reflect, we tell the truth, Reverend Leslie, about how we really are. To think quietly and calm. Reflection is good for the soul. Many of us take no time to reflect. Therefore, the Holy Spirit cannot inform us of the things that we need to do. But reflection is good for the soul. The biblical example of reflection I chose today is the parable of the prodigal son. What I discovered, Reverend Tony, after digging into this, I realized that all of us are prodigal one way or the other. And what I discovered is that prodigal really means that it's an extravagant, wasteful activity that leads to nothing. When we read the scripture and you read about the prodigal son, I've always been impressed with what the father did, but I didn't always take the time to see what the older son's reaction was. And Jesus tells this story in Luke 15 in verses 11 to 32. Don't worry, I won't do all of those. Jesus, in verse number 11, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Verse number 13, not long after that, the younger man got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine sherry in the land. And he discovered that he had nothing, and all of the people he thought loved and adored him had disappeared because he had nothing. You'll always have a crowd when you have something that people want. You won't have a crowd when you have nothing. 
But what I also conclude is that long as you got King Jesus, you got everything that you really need. The Bible said that he went to a citizen of the country, and Deacon Keith, the word says that they sent him to the fields to feed pigs. I don't know about you, but I grew up in Alabama. You ever seen the slop from pigs and where pigs hang out? If you ever see it, you'll go to college or somewhere, but it is not a pretty sight. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating. Can you imagine that I have wasted everything that my father has given me because I said it was mine? That reminded me when we were growing up and we would threaten my father that we were going to run away from home. And he would say, you don't have to run. You can just walk out. Just give me my key back. And sometimes we need to understand is that we're not doing the Lord a favor when we just show up. But what my daddy was saying, you can go, but you can't come back. And so this says here, this gives this man the chance to reflect among the pigs. And the reason I bring this up is because I realize that all of us have been in some type of pig pen one way or the other, either physically emotionally, spiritually, sometimes we find ourselves with the swine. But verse number 17 takes a unique twist, and it says here that when he came to his senses, hallelujah, the question I raised when I read that, I wanted to say to Pleasant Grove, have you come to your senses yet? Do you understand who God is? Do you understand who Jesus is? Do you understand what are we doing when we light the candle of hope, peace, joy, and love? Do you understand what happened on that old holy night? But the word of God says when he came to himself, he said, my father's hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. Long story short, but wow, and he started making his way back home. How many of you have children who are making their way back home? Some never leave now. You just stay home. No point in moving when you got to come back anyway. But while he was still a long way off, the Bible said that his father saw him and was filled with compassion. Hmm. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. And in verse 21, you can read the other on your own. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. A key component of reflection is confession. Because we can talk ourselves into and out of anything. But we need to be honest with ourselves, and we need to reach out to others who will tell us or give us feedback on what, what we really are. So what is our Heavenly Father saying to us right now? Do you feel received by the Lord? The prodigal son means that the prodigal, the son made a mistake, but because God is God, he opened his heart and welcomed him back home. How many of you have decided you're going to leave home? You graduated from church. You don't need to study anymore. You graduated from Bible study. You know everything. I've graduated from that. I got it. All I got to do is accept the Lord, and all I got to do is believe in my heart. No, that's not the full story. We must give all that we have to Jesus Christ, our Lord. Secondly, I want to talk about what it means to repent. 
because some of us are confused about the true nature of repentance. The Hebrew meaning of teshuva, the instruction to repent, has a very heavy connotation for most people. It is defined as regret of being remorseful. It sounds uncomfortable and dark, but somehow it is meant to lead to something good. Since it's in a biblical sunset, allow me to call on its Hebrew meaning because what we need to do, and, and what Pastor, when I was studying, the Lord said to me, next year we need to do some word studies. And we need to help the church understand how to go back to the original Hebrew and the original languages to see what these words really mean. Because when you look at the English language at times in our translations, you can see changes in the meaning of the word. Our English Bible often mentions repentance with most interpreted as being sorry, as such it appears to be more of a feeling rather than an action. And that's the one thing I do want you to remember, that true repentance is more than what you feel. True repentance is turning yourself around. And true repentance is saying, I'm sorry for what I've done, and I am confessing, and I'm coming back. That's why the story of David is so important, because David gives us a perfect model of repentance. And you know this story in Psalm number 51. But David also walks us through the Jewish thought and the purpose of repentance. It is go through a transformation. How many of you ever offended someone? You apologize, you say you're sorry, and you say it with your mouth, but your behavior and your language doesn't express that. You ever had that happen? Sometimes people will ask me, Pastor, what are you really saying? I'm saying that if you are wrapped in human flesh, you are guilty of something. And you need to be mindful and repent because the Lord is willing to forgive you. But you see, repentant means making a U-turn. It means I'm not going there anymore. It means that I got it. It means that I understand. But if you want to do puppy love repent, then you say, Faye, baby, I'm sorry. And if you cook some more neck bones like that, I'll eat them. And I won't say anything about them behind your back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But when you truly repent, you turn around. And there's a difference in your life and what you do. I think the church needs a season of repentance. And as I pray for my people, the Lord helped me to see that we need to repent because the Lord cannot clean us up until we realize where we are. I am not saying that it's anything wrong with my church people. There's people all over the world, but I want us to understand that true repentance, according to the Bible, means that you turn yourself around. If you read the scripture, David did not, after he killed Uriah, had him killed, after he took his wife, Bathsheba, and after he sinned, he went before God. But if you keep reading the scripture, Minister Derek, David didn't marry another woman the next month, and he didn't keep killing people. That once he was turned around, he had turned around. So how many of us can say that we truly have turned around? You ever said you're not going to curse anymore? You ever say, anybody ever say that? You ever say you're not going to drink anymore? You're not going to cheat anymore? You're not going to eat any more apple pie? You're not going to try to put the pad back together so the sliver you took doesn't show up. You're not going to cheat the Lord. You're not going to hide out in the kitchen hoping that 
Deacon Jadam know I'm in there eating his brittle for Christmas. And we need to understand that repentance is a way of life. Repentance is a state of mind. And there's some things that I want you to remember about repentance. David gives us six. And I'll send you these notes as well if you want them. Actually, there are five steps of repentance. Acknowledge the sin. Confess the sin. Ask for forgiveness. Turn away from the sin. Restore the wrong done. So when we look at the model of David, Emma, we realize that David made a mistake. How many of us are brave enough to come before God and say, God, I messed up. I bought myself a $2,000 ring, and I didn't give the church anything, and they're trying to feed the hungry. God, I messed up. I did not honor my commitment to you. God, I messed up. There's a cleansing in repentance that we get. And that's why David said, have mercy on me, O God. What we have to do as human beings is understand we all have the opportunity to sin, and we all have a sinful nature. But David said, according to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. And David said that I've sinned only against you, O God. And I want you to open the door so that I can come back to you, be in full fellowship and harmony, and I can do what I'm supposed to do. Any Davids in the house? Any prodigals? Anyone here knowing that you're not doing the right thing and you left home? You see, what I have discovered that physically coming to church does not mean that you are part of the church. Physically coming means that I'm physically present. It does not mean that you're part of the body and that you believe in Jesus Christ. We make that assumption, but that is not necessarily true. So we really, when we have a relationship with God, we return. We reflect, we repent, because we want to be in good standing with the Lord. Give God praise for not exposing you when you did not repent. Just praise God a minute. Just praise God one more minute that God gave you a second chance. I don't know about you, but I got a second, a third, a fourth, a fifth. I was going, oh, my God. Am I ever going to get it, Lord? And the Lord says, yes, I'm humbled by my assignment. I miss Pastor B, who passed away two years ago, because he told me what God wanted me to do. And I told him, oh, no. He spoke truth to me. I still hear his words, Mon Cherie, in my head. I hear him saying, classroom, you can do that, classroom. I, I still see him on the train in New York when he would come every September. And he would go to school with me, Pastor Bill, at night in Manhattan. And I'm thinking that he really wanted to see me. I realized days later that Pastor B wanted to be sure that I went to school. So he had to come as a good pastor would to be certain that I would go and that I would keep my word. But the word rejoice 
comes to me now because I realize what Mary is singing about and what Mary is excited about when you look at Luke chapter 1, starting with verse 46. Mary said that my soul glorifies the Lord. And as I was preparing this message and I was thinking about Pastor B, I realized that in the old Baptist church, how I was reviewed as a woman, and I went to a church that had never, Emma was there, never had a woman in the pulpit to preach. And I was afraid of what he wanted me to do. But now I stand here before you, and I praise God for sending Pastor B my way and him having the courage to tell me what he heard from God whether I wanted to hear it or not. Don't you love the people who show up and say, you know, I heard from the Lord, and you know you're supposed to be over here doing this. But I, I thank God because all of us need a pastor B. All of us need someone to say, I've been praying for you. All of us need someone to say, I know it looks bad now, but you will get there. All of us need somebody who will look at us the way Jesus looks at us. And all of us need to be loved and embraced in a world that loves nobody. And what I found in this rejoicing is that Mary said that my soul magnifies the Lord. And then she goes on to say, for the mighty one has done great things for us. When you dig deeper into this, you realize that Mary's really saying, here I am a nobody. Here I am just a lowly teenager with big plans to get married, the man that I love. Here I am, I'm all dressed and I'm ready. We got the ceremony planned and you have the nerve to send an angel to me to tell me that I'm going to have a child? You have the nerve to tell me that I'm going to have a child and I've been pregnant and I will be stoned to death in this community? You have the nerve, Lord, to tell me all is well when the people don't smile and the people don't laugh and the people don't love you and the people don't come. You want me to say thank you, Lord? I discovered that that's exactly what we need to do. We need to stop making excuses for neglecting God. We need to go back and remember when we had nothing. Actually, if the truth be told, we still have nothing if we don't have Jesus. We need to go back when we didn't have plush cars and homes and money and that we were part of the elite. We need to go back down through the years when we were in Atmo, Alabama, and you didn't have anything to eat and you had the fields and you had to go pick cotton. We need to go back when God delivered us from ourselves. And Mary said he could have used anybody else. But he chose to use me. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. And he has scattered those who are proud in their heart. He has brought down rulers from the thrones, but has lifted up the mantle. You don't have to judge God's people. God's already doing it. We don't have to resist each other. We just need to pray for each other. We don't have to talk about each other. We just talk to God about each other. We need to grow up so that we realize that when God is using us, God is glorified. But when the enemy is using us, there is no glorification of God. 
How many of us have ever repeated something that someone told you about somebody else and you didn't know whether it was true or not? But you responded to what they told you, not what you really know. How many of us are brave enough to say, uh-uh, I don't want you to gossip with me about my brother. I don't want you to tell me. I'll go myself. How many of us will say, you need to dry that up? I am not in the pig pen. You need to be respectful. You see, what I'm saying to you is that Mary shows us that God blesses what God sends. And what God sends, it will be delivered on time. You know, some folk right now are so stressed out because FedEx is not going to make it. They're stressed out because Amazon had the building run down. They, they stressed out because there's a back order on Amazon. They stressed out because there's no more Pepperidge Farm stuffing in the, in the kitchen. They're stressed out because there's nowhere to go to get the extra gifts that you shouldn't be buying on your credit card anyway. They're stressed out because dinner is almost here and you're trying to figure it out. Mary said, let it go in the name of Jesus. Mary said, dance your dance of joy. You know, I was working on my dance of joy, but it just didn't go right. I was trying to get my shoulders to go with my feet and my legs. But one day I'm going to have rhythm before I go see the Lord. I said, God, Mary was magnifying the name of the Lord. And Mary was saying, you don't know what he's done for me. But I know what he's done for me. Mary said, you don't know when I was left to die. You don't know what I was talked about. You don't know when I was abused and used. You don't know when I was left for dead. You just don't know what I've been through to get here. And you don't know what's required to keep me here. But I serve a God who never sleeps to draw weary. I serve a God who answers every prayer. I serve a God who turns nothing into millions. I serve a God who loves cleaning up sinners. And I serve a God who will always take care of your every need. So Mary said, I don't care how you look at me. I don't care if I'm different. I don't care if I'm put out of the village. All I know is I heard from the Lord. And when you hear from the Lord, things change. When you hear from the Lord, your attitude changes. When you hear from the Lord, your giving changes. You see, the pygmies can't do what they did without Jesus. They went all the way from the baptismal area where the food is stored to take it to the catch kitchen or the other room to be processed. They're going up and down the stairs, but there were not hundreds of volunteers waiting to help. But you know what I've discovered, church, is that the Lord will send you just what you need at just the right time. I discovered that the Lord will magnify what you have. I have discovered if you are obedient to God, that God will honor his word. You don't need a Nike pair of sneakers for $200. We need Jesus. I was looking at the top 10 Christmas gifts for adults. I couldn't pronounce the names, so I said, now I know why I'm not getting any of that. I looked at the top 10. The best gift you can give your child is Jesus. The best gift you can give your family member is Jesus. 
the best gift you can give is to say, I know it's your life, I know it's your business, I know it's your body, but according to the Lord, this is how you ought to be living. And I'm going to pray for you in the name of Jesus. So Mary had a hymn of praise. Do you? What is your hymn of praise? What is it that excites you about Christmas? What is it that excites you about hearing the name of Jesus? And I'm here to tell you today that if you have Jesus as a centerfold of your life, there's nothing you can wish for or ask for that you will not receive. When you made Jesus the centerfold of your life, and you cultivate a relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you will never feel excluded by because of the color of your skin. You will never feel that people are critiquing you and criticizing you because the Holy Spirit pumps you up when you can't pump yourself up. The Holy Spirit speaks positive language when the world wants to tell you how bad you are. So on this day, December 19, 2021, I'm asking you to take on a merry spirit. And for 30 seconds, if you can dance, I want you to dance. If you can't dance, you can raise your hands. Can't raise your hands, you can sing. You can do something to magnify the Lord. So let's get going. You got 30 seconds to magnify the Lord. You can raise your hand. You can dance, play music. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's all you got. My soul. Mary said, my soul. Oh, yeah. My soul. My soul magnifies the Lord. Oh, come on. You got it. Come on. Come on. Come on. The Lord is good. The Lord is good. Mary said, I, my soul magnifies the Lord. He has done great things. All right. Hallelujah. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Mary said, my soul. And if your soul magnifies the Lord, you will get exactly what you're supposed to get. Not only on Christmas, but every day of your life. Bless you. If you are ready to give your life to Jesus Christ, we invite you to pray this prayer with us. And it says, Dear Lord, I admit that I am a sinner and there is nothing that I can do to save myself. I ask for your forgiveness. And you can do this if you are streaming. At this moment, I believe you alone are the one who bore my sins when you died on the cross and rose from the dead. Today, I turn from my sinful life and invite you into my heart. I will trust you and follow you all of the days of my life. 
thank you for saving me and hearing my prayer. In Jesus' name, I pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. It is our prayer that this message will enlighten and empower you to do the will of God. If you have a prayer request or praise report or like additional information on Pleasant Grove Church or other recorded messages, come visit us in person or write to us at Pleasant Grove Church, Post Office Box 3603, Cary, North Carolina, 27519. Or call us at 919-363-5198. Or visit us on the web at www.pgc-carry.org. Thank you again.